We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go! Episode 488 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023, a day on which temperatures in the Washington, D.C. area are supposed to be near 60. Not bad for the middle of January. I'll take that. You know, not to jinx anything, but we have yet to have a true snowstorm in our area this winter. This is kind of like talking about a no-hitter while it's happening. You're not supposed to do that, but uh, we're nearly a full month into winter and no true snowstorm. Not yet. Anyway, uh, hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, what is one of the top 100 podcasts in the country in Apple Podcasts U.S. football category. Thank you very much for that. Uh, there now is even more reason to believe that our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, is doing the thing that we have all wanted him to do, but figured that he would never do, selling majority ownership of the team. The concern has been that we might only get a minority sale of the team. Oh, no, no, no. Not per a report that came out on Tuesday afternoon. I'll tell you about that and more with the sale next segment. Also on the way, I'll examine where exactly we're at in the commander's offensive coordinator search. Uh, There has been a lot out there over the last few days. Uh, And I have a special guest for you on the show, former NFL executive Joe Banner. Uh, He was an executive for the Philadelphia Eagles for more than two decades. He is the founder of the 33rd team, an NFL website that has become quite popular. And Joe is on the show to talk commanders. Uh, Joe's a really smart guy, has had a lot of success in the NFL. He's a guy who was ahead of his time in terms of analytics in the NFL. Uh, And so we're going to get Joe's takes on a variety of things, uh, including his thoughts on the commander's potential next owner, Josh Harris, who Joe knows, uh, Dan Snyder, the commander's quarterback situation, including Sam Howell and Carson Wentz, uh, the appropriate way to view passing offense versus rushing offense in today's NFL. What exactly makes for a great NFL head coach 
and a lot more. Joe Banner talking commanders in just a bit. Uh, also on the show, I'll talk Capitals. Uh, they on Tuesday night lost, despite doing a lot of things well, or two loss to the Minnesota Wild at Capital One Arena. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rich Pullen on the commander's offensive approach. Writes Rich, I listened to your reasoned and rational explanations on last Wednesday's show of the fallacy of retreating to a 1990s run-first offense. But let's look at the actual actions of the team last offseason because those actions seem to conflict with this philosophy. Number one, the team let two absolute run-blocking studs walk away. Both Eric Flowers and Brandon Sheriff had elite run-blocking grades. I never thought that either was elite in pass protection, but those guys were maulers in the running game. I understand that Sheriff may not have wanted to stay, but that doesn't account for Flowers. Number two, the team in the 2022 NFL Draft took one offensive lineman and in the seventh round, uh, the team also clearly did not understand that Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves could play. So the team picked up another safety. I'm all for best player available, but neither Fedarian Mathis nor Percy Butler was a pro football focused steal like Sam Howell, for instance. And then why pick an impact receiver in the first round with how deep the draft was at receiver? It makes no sense. Number three, look at the quarterbacks who the team has acquired. Both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Carson Wentz are gunslingers, and in the case of Carson, a not very good one. Uh, If that was your offensive philosophy, why not Marcus Mariota, a much cheaper and better quarterback for a (laughs) two-to-one run-to-pass offense? I'm glad that Scott Turner is gone. The indictment by Logan Thomas and others was damning, but if you want a bright offensive mind, parentheses, please call Frank Reich, end of parentheses, why telegraph that you want the bright offensive mind hamstrung by an outdated offensive philosophy? Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Uh, Yeah, the actions of last offseason do not align with this wanting of a running game-oriented offense, uh, as was championed by head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season-ending press conference on January 10th. Now, I suppose it could be that Ron didn't truly decide on this offensive philosophy, did not truly decide on the formula uh, until the regular season was already underway. But, you know, the way that Ron and Martin talked at that presser about the formula seemed to indicate that the idea had been to begin the 2022 regular season employing the formula. But then the shooting of running back Brian Robinson Jr. and the bad play calling of offensive coordinator Scott Turner got in the way. Look, we've talked about this. Ron Rivera, over his three years as Washington head coach, has changed his messaging and changed his mind numerous times. So it's not always clear what to think about what he says. I do know this. In the NFL in 2023, A running game-oriented offense isn't the right way to be thinking about offense. Uh, And by the way, with Eric Flowers, remember that no NFL team has signed him since the commanders released him last March 16th. It's not like he had a bad season in the 2021 season. He had a good season in the 2021 season. Uh, It's not like he's old. This season would have been just Flowers' age 28 season. It's not like he has been injury-prone. Flowers over his seven NFL seasons 2015 through 2021 has played in 105 of a possible 
113 regular season games, and three of the missed games had to do with him going from the New York Giants to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the 2018 season. But Eric Flowers remains unsigned. And so you got to wonder if there's something that the commanders and the rest of the NFL know about Eric Flowers that we do not. Uh, Email from someone who refers to himself only as your nonpartisan political correspondent. Uh, Okay. Uh, He writes about Ron Rivera, who in that press conference on January 7th said, quote, it's not always on what's on the one loss record that indicates whether you've grown a little bit or not, end quote. And I talked about that on Tuesday's show. Episode 487 writes our nonpartisan political correspondent. First, just wanted to offer you this absolutely unconditional praise. You do your pod, do the things you try to do, and we're going to self-evaluate and go through that process. Kidding, of course, love the pod, and my self-evaluation is that I could not get through my morning routine without the pod. Coffee, lots of water, weights, running, and Al Galdi, the elixir of good health. Jeez, uh, well, thank you for that. Uh, I'm glad that you're not evaluating this podcast the way that Ron Rivera ended up evaluating Scott Turner. Continues the email. The brazenness with which Ron Rivera asserted that wins are not the measure by which you judge general managers, coaches, organizations, etc. is suggestive. Ron seems to me like the kid who has realized that he has a substitute teacher with the substitute teacher being the new owner. Ron is going to fool the substitute teacher. He fires Scott Turner for the offense's woes. The substitute teacher won't know who traded for Carson Wentz or who wrecked the offensive line. Ron insists that the winning formula is the 1894 Yale University playbook because what does the substitute teacher know? The substitute teacher is no match for Ron. Remember, Ron has been through an ownership change before. Uh, Thank you for the email. Uh, And yes, that ownership change for the Carolina Panthers uh, did ultimately result in Ron Rivera getting fired as Panthers head coach after, never forget, a loss to the Redskins in Carolina in December 2019. Well, if the next owner of the Commanders is foolish enough to not know the truth about those things that were laid out in the email, then we've got bigger problems, okay? Because the next owner needs to have a football IQ high enough to know those things. Well, at the same time, having a football IQ high enough to where the owner stays out of the way of the football people. Job number one in football operations for an NFL owner is hiring good people. Job number two in football operations for an NFL owner is staying out of those people's ways. Uh, Our current owner has had a very hard time with that. Well, if you are having a hard time due to the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. 
Holson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, as I have been saying regarding the sale of the commanders, all of the reporting for months has been that a sale is happening and that a sale will involve co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, selling their majority ownership of the team. We, on Tuesday afternoon, got even more reason to believe that a sale of majority ownership is happening. Uh, Sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Perez on Tuesday afternoon reported that those who submitted bids for the first round of bidding for the commanders were told that Dan Snyder plans to sell enough of the team to clear the way for a new controlling owner. Let me repeat that. Dan Snyder plans to sell enough of the team to clear the way for a new controlling owner. And <laughs> and to that, I say, and I think that we all say, hallelujah. Yes, my friends, hallelujah, indeed. Uh, said a source to Perez about Dan Snyder, quote, they know he's selling at least a majority stake in the team, end quote. Uh, a big enough deal of this we cannot make. It now more than ever before appears that Dan Snyder is getting out as majority owner of the team. The thing that we all thought would never happen, that we all thought that Dan would never do, he's actually doing, selling at least a majority stake in the team. 
Uh, also, AJ Perez's report had more on what's going on with Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, who reportedly did not submit a bid for the commanders in the first round of bidding. Uh, the first round, by the way, ended just before Christmas. Uh, it has not been crystal clear why Bezos, who pretty clearly wants to own an NFL team, hasn't yet submitted a bid for the commanders. Uh, maybe he's strategically planning to be a late entrant into the sweepstakes. Uh, maybe he realizes that he's not getting the team. Uh, as we have discussed, there is a belief that the Snyders have no interest in selling to Bezos because he owns the Washington Post, uh, with which the Snyders have feuded for years. Well, we know that Bank of America is handling the sale of the commanders. A.J. Perez of front office sports on Tuesday afternoon had this, quote, sources told FOS that Bank of America continues to court Bezos end quote. How about that? Bank of America actually is courting Jeff Bezos, is recruiting Jeff Bezos to bid on the commanders. And you understand why. I mean, he is filthy rich at a level beyond what normally constitutes filthy rich. Him entering the bidding would only drive up the price of the team, which according to Perez had a high bid of $6.3 billion in that first round of bidding. The belief is that Dan Snyder wants at least $7 billion for the team. Uh, the record for highest sale price for an NFL team, by the way, is $4.65 billion, uh, which is what the Denver Broncos went for in a sale that was officially completed this past August. So the record is $4.65 billion. The belief is that Danny Boy for the Commanders wants at least $7 billion, and he may get that. Uh, we'll see what happens with Jeff Bezos. As I said on Tuesday's show, episode 487, it's not like it's some absolute certainty that Bezos would be a great NFL owner. But of, of course, given what he did with Amazon, you would think that the guy would have at least a decent shot at being a decent NFL owner. Uh, but regardless, the biggest item in the latest in the sale of the commanders is that those who submitted bids for the first round of bidding for the team were told that Dan Snyder plans to sell enough of the team to clear the way for a new controlling owner. It appears to be actually happening. Dan Snyder selling controlling ownership of the commanders. He's not doing a minority sale of the team. No, he is doing a majority sale of the team. And with this sale of the team, nothing matters more than that. Well, business is picking up in the sale of the Commanders, and business is picking up in the Commanders' offensive coordinator search, uh, although the offensive coordinator search appears as if it may take a while. Uh, but here's a list of names that have come up as candidates for the Commanders' offensive coordinator job via reports. Uh, former Indianapolis Colts and former Detroit Lions head coach Jim Caldwell Former Indianapolis Colts head coach and former Maryland quarterback, Frank Reich. Uh, former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach, Pat Shermer. Miami Dolphins quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator, Daryl Bevel. Uh, Miami Dolphins associate head coach and running backs coach, Eric Studisville. And Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach, Charles London. Uh, now, not all of those guys have or even will interview for the Commanders. 
offensive coordinator job. Uh, we on Tuesday morning did have multiple reports that the commanders on Tuesday were interviewing Pat Shermer and that they had requested for permission to interview Charles London. Uh, this off us on Monday night, having had multiple reports that the commanders had requested permission to interview Daryl Bevel. Uh, Commander's insider John Kime of ESPN, he on Tuesday morning tweeted that Jim Caldwell and Frank Reich are interviewing for head coaching jobs before giving any consideration to becoming Commander's offensive coordinator. Uh, also, we on Tuesday morning had a big shakeup with the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, they fired offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. Joe Lombardi was the Chargers offensive coordinator for two seasons. The Chargers offense this season was a disappointment, but their offense last season was very good. I certainly would like for the commanders to at least talk to Joe Lombardi. Uh, Joe Lombardi, by the way, is the grandson of former Redskins head coach Vince Lombardi, who I think may have also served as head coach of the Green Bay Packers at one point. I'm not sure. I have to look that up. Uh, And Shane Day, uh, he has a history with Washington. Uh, Shane Day was the Skins' assistant offensive line coach for the 2014 and 2015 seasons. You know what's funny about the Chargers, by the way? So they on Saturday night had that horrendous loss, right? Blew a 27-0 second quarter lead, a 31-30 loss at the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wildcard round of the playoffs. The Chargers on Saturday night are a great example of a team that should have called more running plays, a team that should have run the ball more, a team that should have made usage of the formula. Uh, Yes, the formula, as Commander's head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew at their joint season-ending press conference on January 10th had told us about over and over and over and over again, the formula. The Chargers on Saturday night should have used the formula. The Chargers in the second half on Saturday night per ESPN, had just seven design runs over 29 offensive plays despite holding a lead for every one of those plays. The time to run the ball in the NFL is precisely in a circumstance like the one that the Chargers were in on Saturday night, the second half of a game in which you have a big lead. And yet, the Chargers did not call many running plays in that second half. Uh, Additionally, with the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy, uh, we're still waiting on some situations. Uh, We're still waiting on what's going to happen with Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Uh, I know that a lot of people expect him to get fired or at the very least want him to get fired, but for now, uh, he is still employed by the Ravens. We're also waiting on what's going to happen with Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, uh, who's a local. Uh, He went to H.D. Woodson High School in Washington, D.C. There has not been anything out there yet about the commanders being interested in Mike LaFleur. Uh, The New York Jets last Thursday announced a mutual parting of the ways with LaFleur as their offensive coordinator. Uh, Mike LaFleur is the younger brother of Packers head coach and former Skins quarterbacks coach Matt LaFleur. Uh, You can always email me, the Podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Justin Davenport, writes Justin, concerning the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy, what are your thoughts on Mike LaFleur? Uh, Also, right after the loss at the San Francisco 49ers, I emailed you stating that we at quarterback should keep Carson Wentz and lose Taylor Heineke. 
I, w- I want to retract everything I said about that. <laughs> uh, thank you for the email, Justin. Yeah, so I would say this about Mike LaFleur. Uh, Jets receiver Garrett Wilson, who had a really good 2022 rookie season, uh, he actually made some public comments basically saying that the Jets offense was uh, too predictable. Quote, it seemed like opponents had an idea of what we were trying to do and they did a good job of stopping us once they got the film together. At the end of the year, it got real hard for us as an offense, end quote. Uh, Those comments to me are way too similar to what the uh, nine anonymous Commanders players said to the Washington Post in that January 7th piece in which tight end Logan Thomas and the nine anonymous players uh, ripped the man who Mike LaFleur would be replacing as Commanders Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner. What seems pretty clear with this Commanders Offensive Coordinator search is that the team is targeting an experienced offensive coordinator as opposed to someone learning on the job, as was the case with Scott Turner with the Commanders and Mike LaFleur with the Jets. Uh, All of these offensive coordinator candidates for the Commanders, there are things to like about all of them. Like if you read about these guys, if you study these guys, they've all done some good things in the NFL. What this Commanders offensive coordinator search is about, maybe as much as anything, is fit. How does the offensive coordinator fit with the talent on the team? How does the offensive coordinator fit with what Rod Rivera wants? Uh, Organizational alignment, everyone being on the same page. So important. We did not have this with Ron and Scott Turner. We need to have this with Ron and the team's next offensive coordinator. Up next, our special guest, former NFL executive Joe Banner, with a deep dive on the commanders, including his thoughts on the team's potential next owner, Josh Harris, uh, Joe's take on what the commanders should be thinking at quarterback, uh, his view on passing offense versus rushing offense in today's NFL, and a lot more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Well, do yourself a favor and subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast if you're not already doing that. Subscribing costs you nothing and makes it so that each episode is downloaded to your device. Also, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. And so thank you for doing them. Uh, the miss that was the commander's trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, of course. Not the first time that a veteran quarterback acquisition by Washington has not worked out for the team. Uh, One of the most famous instances of this, the Donovan McNabb trade of April 2010. And one of the key people who helped to play the Redskins in that trade is a man who joins me now. But he's not here to talk about that trade. He's here to talk about the state of the commanders. He is Joe Banner, longtime NFL executive. Uh, Joe was an executive for the Philadelphia Eagles for nearly two decades, including serving as team president. He also was the CEO of the Cleveland Browns for about two years, and he has worked for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Joe also has worked as an NFL front office analyst for ESPN, and he is the founder of a great site, the 33rd Team, uh, which you can access by going to the 33rdteam.com. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Banner 13. And one of the things that I most respect about Joe is that he is a forward thinker. Uh, Joe Banner is a pioneer of analytics in the NFL. Joe, it's nice to have you on the podcast again. How are you? I'm doing good. Great to be on with you again. I want to ask you about a lot of football stuff with the Commanders, but I was thinking about this. So we have the ongoing sale of the Commanders, and a name that has emerged as perhaps being the frontrunner to buy the team is Josh Harris. Uh, He is the managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers. He is the co-managing partner, vice chairman, and alternate governor of the New Jersey Devils. He's from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, He went to the field school in Washington, D.C. But Joe, given your and Josh Harris's ties to the Philadelphia area, uh, do you know Josh Harris? And do you have any thoughts on him as the potential next owner of the Commanders? So I have met Josh Harris, um, his president, until probably five months ago. Is a guy named Scott O'Neill, who uh, started his sports career in Philadelphia in our sales department and eventually took over our sales department, went to Harvard Business School. So I have a perspective through uh, Scott's eyes, which was a very positive experience. I'm not sure really why it ended or how it ended, not weighing in on that. But, uh, um, you know, Josh has got a full-time job, and, and what I thought he did well was, including Scott, hire really good people and, uh, you know, I think play the appropriate ownership role, which is to be asking challenging questions and set the bar high and holding your people to that and having consequences if they don't hit that. Um, But beyond that, trusting the people that you hired to be able to do what you hired them to do. Um, So from that definition perspective, I think he's done a good job with the 76s, and I would expect he would do a good job uh, in Washington. Uh, my knowledge of him is from, you know, going to some of the games as a guest of like a Scott's and being introduced and talking for a couple of minutes, not like an in-depth where I could really tell you what I think he'll do. But measuring it for how he's done things at the 76s, I would be encouraged if I was a Washington fan. 
As someone who worked in the NFL for decades and views the commanders from afar, what do you make of all that has happened and all that has gone wrong with Dan Snyder as owner of the team? I mean, it's a simple kind of how did we get here? I mean, there's a huge irony. And the, the only time in my time involved in the league, which now goes almost 35 years back, I uh, wasn't running a team all those years, but involved 35 years. There's only one time they denied an ownership uh, application, and it was for, at the time, it was the Redskins. And it was to replace one possible owner with Dan Snyder. So, <laughs> you know, that was a terrible mistake. And the other owner was really bad because, <laughs> uh, you know, Dan just hasn't done a good job. I mean, you know, initially he at least did a good job on the business front. And he seemed to kind of lose interest in that. And now it's not a model that anybody the team looks at. Anybody in the league, other teams that are looking around for best practices do no longer look to Washington, which they did early on in Dan's. And certainly on the football, you know, side of things, there's nobody trying to replicate, you know, what they're doing. At best, they're taking the hard path. I'm sure it's sometimes it feels like they're not even on a path, but at best, it's the, it's the harder path to get there. Interesting what you said a few moments ago, that early in Dan Snyder's tenure as Redskins owner, his ownership actually was viewed as a best practices model because of the business success that the team was having. In, in the business area, I mean, they, he did really do some interesting things and in how he packaged marketing deals, how he stole the stadium. Um, you know, he did have some interesting ideas, which is not unusual. If you bring somebody from a different background, you know, the football business is not a complicated business. So it's not unusual that they would actually bring some different ideas than people or, um, you know, putting it to practice. I mean, his challenge was that he hired what many of us thought were very good people, but they didn't really last very long. And you know, I always say continuity is overrated until you get the right people and that it's the most important thing you have to do. You know, some people want continuity from day one, and that's not a good idea. <laughs> you know, but once you have people that prove themselves, continuity is invaluable because it's so hard to find really, really good people. So if you find difference makers, I mean, we approached Andy Reid to do his contract at least two years before it expired every single time after his first contract. And that was just a statement on our part about how important good people are and how you should treat them to maximize your chance of holding on to them for a long time. That obviously hasn't been Dan's you know, primary focus, is whether it was on the initial business side or as time's gone on to the you know, football side. He's, he's, uh, he's made changes freely, sometimes by his choice, sometimes not. And you know, at times he's had people in place that were good enough that I wouldn't recommend that at other places. I understood why you know, they were making changes. But it's not thought of as a place that... Uh, Boy, I can't wait to work there. What a great environment. And you learn so much and all that kind of stuff. That's not that's not the way they're perceived. And that's a challenge. Yeah, no doubt. And hopefully that's in the process of changing. In the meantime, uh, we're now three seasons into Ron Rivera's tenure as Washington head coach in a coach-centric approach. He over his three seasons as Washington head coach is yet to have a winning regular season. The commanders do have some good players, but as has been the case with the team for a while, quarterback remains a problem. Uh, you know, Ron, you were an Eagles executive when he was the Eagles linebackers coach from 1999 through 2003. Would you say that the commanders are a quarterback away from being a good team, or is it not as simple as that? I think they're a quarterback away from being a good team. I don't think they're a quarterback away from being a great team. I think there's more that needs to be done. Um, some of it, maybe they've started with a change at the offensive coordinator position. Some of it, you know, hopefully they'll have some opportunities 
in the offseason to continue to upgrade the talent. Um, but they got to draft well and they got to keep those players. But there is more of an opportunity than there's ever been to build team more through free agency. I mean, for years, you could not win a championship doing that. You know, we, we saw the uh, Denver do it back at the end of Peyton's career. We saw the Rams just do it. Really, in 17, the Eagles team was mostly free agents that they won. If they win this year, it will be mostly free agents. That's not to say they don't have some draft picks that contribute in a major way. But if it wasn't for the additions in free agency, they couldn't be, you know, where they are. So, you know, I was a traditionalist in early my years. You know, draft as made draft picks as you can draft as well as you can, resign those players as quickly as you can. But with the cap increasing as quickly as can now, there are more there's there are multiple ways to try to build a successful team. So you need to be open minded about the approach as opposed to locked in what used to work. Much more with Joe Banner on the Commanders in moments. I'm going to next ask him about quarterback Sam Howell. Uh, You could say that Washington has been on a bit of a hiatus from high-level quarterback play. That needs to change. And if you need to get your payments in order, uh, what you need to do is download the Hiatus app. Uh, Hiatus is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. Uh, If you want to get a better handle on where your money is going, if you want to get your bills, utilities, and subscriptions organized, download the Hiatus app. It's great. Uh, Hiatus allows you to see all of your subscriptions in one place and lets you cancel the ones that you don't want or need in just a few taps. Uh, Hiatus can alert you if any of your monthly bills, like your cell phone bill or internet bill, are negotiable and has an in-house team that actually can negotiate and lower those bills for you. Download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. There's no cost to downloading the app. Download it and see what it can do for you. Again, you can download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, take control of your money. More now with former NFL executive Joe Banner. The latest uh, for the commanders at quarterback is that the team is positioning Sam Howell to be its QB1 for the 2023 season uh, doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to be the team starting quarterback for the 2023 season doesn't mean that the team won't end up doing something of significance at quarterback this offseason uh, but a franchise quarterback needy team like the commanders of course has two general routes to take at quarterback the NFL draft and the veteran market do you have a preferred quarterback path for a franchise quarterback needy team or is the path that a team should take really just circumstantial? Well, I'm going to say it's circumstantial, but I always prefer to draft and develop my own players at the most important positions. But you get, you got to be very, very careful not to fooling yourself that you have solutions if you don't. And I'm not saying that about Sam. I don't know. I watched him a little bit in the draft. I thought it looked okay, but not enough to have any conviction whatsoever. And I don't think we've seen enough at the NFL level now. Other people studied it much closer, so they probably have conviction about their opinion. That doesn't mean they're right. Also, it doesn't mean they're wrong, but they at least have a lot more you know, information, have conviction about the decision. But you know, it would worry me to think that we were going to put most of our eggs in the basket of a fifth-round draft pick. It presumes the rest of the league missed, which we know does occasionally happen, but not that often. I always like to say I like to bet on the odds. I don't like to swim upstream. You know, the odds are that a fifth-round draft pick that everybody else passed on is not suddenly the answer after 20 years of searching for a quarterback. So I would be concerned if that was the only thing they were going to do. And my view is, whatever way, they should not prejudge this and they should not be um, 
afraid of what past mistakes or successes they've had. They should just simply be going, we're going to evaluate every quarterback that could possibly be a member of this team, and we're going to decide if they're the right answer. It's not because one's a veteran, one's a young guy. It's not because one is, you know, has this skill versus this is mobile enough. I just, I just want a clean slate, no bias brought to the table, and find a guy that we truly think can take this quarterback position to a level we haven't seen it on this team for a long time. Anything else runs the risk of creating bias, which increases the risk of making a mistake. So I'd say have an open mind as you possibly can recognize what a massive difference it can make if you get it right and then be prepared to find a solution and even put in the assets necessary if you think you found the right answer while we're talking quarterback am i correct in assuming that you're not stunned that the commander's trade for carson wentz did not work out i just you know it's um at some point, you just got to believe what all the information is telling you. And I just don't know how in this particular situation. I mean, listen, let's be honest. The Eagles are a very smart team. They've done very well for a long time. They've had some ups and downs, but they've done very well for a very long time. They decided they would rather take, I think it was a 37 or $35 million cap hit than even have him on their team. Now, this is a very smart team that knows him really well. And by the way, they were placing with somebody with a total projection. It's not like they just had, it's not like a situation in Chicago where if they decide to replace Fields, it's with somebody who's going to be the first pick in the draft. The Eagles were tired of picking somebody they thought was kind of maybe he could be a starter, but certainly at least be a good backup. And where we're at, that kind of makes sense. And then he comes in and you know, seems to prove that he exceeded at least, you know, where he was drafted. Um, you know, they, 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 they got to get this right. Then he goes to Indianapolis. Now, they've struggled in their quarterbacks' evaluations. They get that. But for me, Chris Ballard is one of the three to five smartest general managers in the league. So now he's also decided he'd rather take, I think it was a $28 million cap hit than have Carson on his team. So I don't know what else you need. And by the way, the tape, if you're not convinced by those two people who are smart, making that kind of a decision, a position they both cherish, if you need any more information, then just turn on the tape. The tape tells you very clearly why they came to that conclusion. And I understand, listen, I was in Philly when, you know, we went to five championships games in eight years. It's it, indescribable, the frustration. It's not joy. You're not patting yourself on the back. The frustration is absolutely indescribable. So the willingness to maybe make a move that somebody from the outside can actually see as a mistake, but you can't because you want to win so badly. So you're motivated properly, but you're a little bit blinded by how motivated you are. Um, you know, that's what they have to be very careful of. And that's what I think happened, you know, with Wentz. All the evidence was there, but for some reason they looked at it and decided path A made sense when the rest of us could see path B was what really made sense. You mentioned now former Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner. Uh, he worked for you during your time as an executive with the Browns. Scott was the Browns receivers coach for the 2013 season. Rod Rivera fired Scott on January 10th. I don't know the extent to which you've been following all of the commander's minutia these last few weeks, but what has emerged is that there was a pretty significant divide between Ron and Scott, including Scott having been against the trade for Carson Wentz, and Scott having not been on board with Ron's offensive philosophy, which he championed quite a bit at this joint season-ending press conference with 
General Manager Martin Mayhew on January 10th, hours before Scott was fired. And the offensive philosophy is a running game-oriented approach to offense. I mean, Martin was talking about how the Redskins did offense when he played for the team. And that was 1989 through 1992, a long time ago. Uh, I've always respected your view on offense in the modern NFL. What to you is the appropriate way of viewing passing offense versus rushing offense in the NFL in the year 2023? Yeah, I mean, he played 40 years ago. They've changed a lot of roles and the quality of the quarterback position, maybe, but mainly by adding all of the mobile quarterbacks to all of the non-mobile quarterbacks has increased the number of teams that are actually playing with really good quarterbacks. <laughs> Unfortunately for the league right now, they all tend to be in the same division. So we have a, <laughs> we have a very out of whack, you know, league, if you're, you know, still trying to, you know, try to fit everybody into the middle of the pack. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go back to kind of quote myself from earlier in our conversation. I like to play the odds. I like to follow the path that has the least resistance resistance. And I just think in, in looking at football and, 2023 and, and looking forward that the, the being able to pass the ball and being able to stop the pass is the fastest way to get there. Now that's changing a little bit because I remember even a decade ago, the Eagles, we used to have arguments about do we call quarterback runs, running yardage or passing yardage? Cause at that time, most of it came out of scrambles. Now you've got this mixture out of designed runs for quarterbacks and scrambles. So if you really want to do the smart math analysis, you actually have to count called quarterback runs, running yardage, and called quarterback called passes that turn into quarterback scrambles should be called passing yardage, and then you're really going to get a true measure. So we may look back and see more teams that are running for more yardage doing better, but mainly because of this change in the quarterback play as opposed to because, because of Martin. Listen, the simple answer to your question is you can win that way. It's not like they've signed a death certificate. But boy, you're making it much harder. You're taking a much more difficult path. Uh, and you're making your odds a lot longer. I mean, I'm saying about once a decade, a team wins a Super Bowl that's primarily a true old-fashioned, hardcore, shove-it-down-your-throat running team. I'd much rather chase the nine out of ten times that somebody that's more geared the other way. Now, for me, it's really simple if you talk about modern football and math. And, and I really think if everybody, if you know these couple of stats, I don't know how you really argue with this. It varies slightly, but most years, between 75 and 80% of games are won by the team that's ahead at half. The team that's ahead at half is almost always the team that passed more efficiently in the first half. By the way, even if you lost the turnover battle, everybody thinks whoever wins the turnover battle wins the game. Well, that's usually true. But it's also because it enhances their offensive passing efficiency. Same thing defensively. I mean, Eagles that won a Super Bowl were not great at stopping the run. If the Eagles win the Super Bowl this year, it's not a team that's even good against stopping the run. But boy, drop back and pass, and this quarterback is scared to death before he's taken one step backwards because he could turn around, look up, and have pass rusher in his face so i think you build the team right now focused on being able to pass early to get the lead you need to be able to run too because you need to keep them honest you want to run more and more as the game goes on if you have the lead but my primary orientation is throw the ball well 
and keep the other team from throwing the ball well. And that's what I would recommend a team building philosophy should be. One more for you. With all of the talk in the Washington, D.C. area about the job that Ron Rivera has done as Washington head coach, I, in preparing for this interview, came across something that you did for SI.com in November 2018, a piece about how you as an Eagles executive came to the decision to hire Andy Reid as Eagles head coach. And I want to read a portion of the piece so that people hear this. Uh, Quote, Andy Reid, over 20 years, has certainly made us look good. But this didn't start with Andy. Rather, it started with Bill Walsh and Joe Gibbs and Chuck Knoll and Vince Lombardi. In order to find our next coach, instead of just assuming some hotshot offensive coordinator was the right guy, we wanted to study what had actually worked in the past. And we found that a lot of people had been looking in the wrong places for a long time. Our study, which focused on coaches who had been to multiple Super Bowls, showed that from a football perspective, there were few common threads. Some coaches came up on defense, others on offense. Some believed in throwing the ball all over the yard. Others were resolute in running it. Some had extensive play calling experience on one side of the ball or the other. Others didn't. There was nothing there. When we moved from there to character and personality, Suddenly, everything crystallized. All of these coaches were very detail-oriented to the point where it drove those around them crazy. They were exceptional at evaluating people and could apply that not just with players, but with coaches and scouts and support staff alike. End quote. Uh, I wonder if you could expound on that because teams are constantly striking out on head coaches, what do you truly makes for a great NFL head coach? Yeah, and I'm at the risk of bragging on myself, I just want to elaborate a little bit. I mean, I hired Sean McDermott for his first job in the NFL. John Harbaugh, Sean Payton, John Gruden wasn't his first job in the NFL, but his first job as a coordinator in the NFL. In addition, Andy Reid and some other coaching searches that I've been part of that have turned out well. So. Um, I just say that so that, you know, hopefully at least the answer comes from a position of having some credibility on the topic. For me, there's, there's eight factors, I'm not sure I can even name them all right now, that matter, and three that are decisive. Leadership, ability to hire and manage great coaches, and this obsessive attention to detail, which affects everything. Because for me, think about it. If leadership is the number one quality, and you don't need a PhD to figure that out. I think we all know that. How can you be an effective leader if you can't articulate a really clear, consistent vision as to where you're trying to take us? I mean, I know as a person, I don't follow people that can't articulate a clear vision as where it is they want me to follow them to. So if I'm interviewing a coach, he doesn't have to have the same philosophy I do about the best way to win. But he does have to have a very clear, well-thought-out, unambiguous commitment to a philosophy about how he thinks it's going to end. It's easier if we have the same philosophy, but it's not mandatory. I would hire somebody whose philosophy didn't match up with mine as long as theirs was well thought out and they could articulate it well so that people are going to be inclined to lead them. That's where Ron is good. Ron is very good at articulating a message and he has a presence about him that makes him a strong leader. And he's strong in those areas. Um, I'm worried that based on what we've heard since the season ended, that they may be focusing on a message that... Maybe makes it harder to win, but again, it's possible. 
but does make it a little bit harder to win. But for me, those are the top three. There's more I'd like you to have, but if you don't have those three, I have to move on to the next guy. Makes a lot of sense. Joe Banner, former NFL executive, founder of the 33rd team, and a high-level NFL mind. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for your time. All the best. My pleasure. Enjoy it. Thanks. Well, the Capitals on Tuesday night suffered a fourth regulation loss in six games, uh, this off having suffered just one regulation loss over the previous 15 games. However, the Caps on Tuesday night, as was the case in their previous loss, their 3-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena this past Saturday night, lost despite dominating the puck possession battle. Uh, the Caps fell to 24-17-6 with a 4-2 loss to the Minnesota Wild at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. The Caps were without center Nick Dowd. Uh, he did not play due to a lower body injury that he suffered in the Caps' previous game, the 4-3 overtime win at the New York Islanders on Monday night. The Caps also remained without defensemen John Carlson and forwards Connor Brown and Carl Hagelin due to injury. And the Caps lost despite dominating the puck possession battle. Uh, the Caps, per natural stat trick, had 58 five-on-five shot attempts to the Wilds' 42, including 16 five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Wilds' four. Yeah, the Caps quadrupled up the Wild in terms of five-on-five high-danger shot attempts. Uh, also, the Caps finished with 36 shots on goal to the Wilds' 22. Uh, this was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on his team's performance. There's a lot. There's there's a lot that we did good for 60 minutes. Uh, it's one of those games where I can't fault the process and I can't fault the effort. And I thought, you know, the the chances that we had, the possession time, the odd, you know, the again the heavy weight of ozone possession time and the looks and pucks rolling across the crease and you know we deflected ours, they go wide, they deflected theirs, they go in, and so it's just just the way the game went. That's the way it went, it went tonight, and so I have to look at it objectively as to whether or not I thought our guys showed up and play hard and did the right things defensively. I thought we were pretty good. You know, the the goals are the goals. Yeah, the Caps' process on Tuesday night was good. The result was not good, but the process was good. Uh, Charlie Lindgren (laughs) was not good. Uh, He was the Caps' starting goaltender. Uh, He stopped just 18 of the 21 shots on goal that he faced. How about this? Lindgren, per natural stat trick, faced just one high-danger shot on goal the entire game. Uh, That was it. One high-danger shot on goal the entire game. He stopped that shot, but uh, he stopped just nine of the 12 low-danger shots on goal that he faced. Uh, The Caps went 2-2 on the penalty kill and 0-3 on the power play, but there were some really good offensive performances by the Caps in this game. Winger Alex Ovechkin had two assists and had a game-high three takeaways and was number two on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 71.88. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 23 shot attempts versus allowing just nine shot attempts. A defenseman Martin Faravari had a first period even strength goal, a primary assist, and a team high tying four hits. Center Dylan Strom had a second period even strength goal and was number four on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 68.75. The Caps with Strom on the ice in five on five situations in the game had 22 shot attempts versus allowing 
10 shot attempts. So there was a good bit to like from the Caps on Tuesday night, but unfortunately, the result of the game was uh, not among those things. That's hockey, though. That's the way it can go. You can do a lot of things well, but uh, the variance of a rubber puck on ice can not go your way, and you can end up losing the game. Uh, Next up for the Caps, three consecutive road games, uh, starting with a game at the Arizona Coyotes, Thursday night at 9. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 489. We'll feature a lot more for you on the Commanders. I'll also talk Wizards, so the Wizard at the New York Knicks, Wednesday night at 7.30. And I'll discuss the clash of the Commonwealth in college basketball, Virginia Tech at number 10, Virginia, Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com